Oh, dear friends, Jesus is Lord. He's supreme over all. The message this morning is entitled The Supremacy of the Son. Supremacy of the Son. And um, if I might just remind you that we are in <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. This morning I'm preaching from verses 7 to 10. But beginning in verse 3 of Ephesians 1 down to verse 14, it's, there's this incredible introduction, this eulogy. To eulogize someone is to praise them for who they are, or in the case of a funeral, who they were and what they did. But God is very much alive, so this eulogy, this praise to God is for who he is and what he's done. And we're going to spend three weeks, last week was the first week, we praised him for choosing us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. He didn't just choose us, but he chose us to be holy and blameless. And, And then he made it personal. It became personal because then he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. And this week, this week, dear friends, we're going to read now further reasons to praise God. Further reasons to praise God. So turn now, Ephesians 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's right there. Reason to praise God. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Look how generous God is. In all wisdom and insight. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray to you in the Son, in Jesus' name, that you would pour forth of your Holy Spirit to anoint me, to help me, to gift me, to... to, um, Give me the ability to preach this truth, Lord, the way you want it preached. With power. In a compelling way. That reaches the hearts of those who are listening. And I pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, confiding in Him alone and trusting in Him alone, that you would hear me now. That you would pour out your Spirit upon those listening to me. Perhaps here in this room, perhaps they're going to listen digitally. God, that you would use this message, Lord, to, yes, call some, perhaps for the very first time. Calling them in Christ. But, oh, Lord, conforming us in community. Lord, build your church. Build Palm Vista Community Church. And may the gates of hell not prevail against her. Build your church, oh, God, that we might reflect you, image you. Do the good works you've called us to do like heartbeat and many more. Oh, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. What do you think? What do you think about God? What do you truly believe in the bottom of your heart about what he's done for you? The answer to that question will define you. And Paul is answering that question this morning in this text. He's answering this question. Who is God? What has God done? And very important, what is my responsibility 
or response to God based on who he is and what he's done. So so here, these are the questions that he's asking this morning. Here's what Paul is saying. God is saying through Paul, who am I? Who do you say that I am? Okay? And, And what do you say that I've done? Do you know what I've done for you? And then God always requires a response. Back to question one, because he's God. He's creator. We answer to him. So what will be your response, church? What will be your response to who he is and what he's done? Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but as I was studying this text, it just occurred to me that there's, the Trinity is in this text. Maybe I'm, I'm seeing it where it's not. I, I didn't read a whole lot from commentators that would necessarily be talking about this, but I'm just going to go ahead and share what, what blessed me. And I think it's in here. But when, if you read from verses 3 to 14, you see the Father... You see the Son, and you see the Spirit, and they're all working. You see God the Father adopting us. Today you see God the Son redeeming us. And next week you see God the Holy Spirit sealing us or assuring us of our salvation. And just a little bit when we get in the text, we're going to talk about the economy of salvation. There's a fancy Greek word for that, oikonomos. I believe that there is this Trinitarian view of salvation here. I just want to, I want you to know that God is, is, is three in one. I, I know you may say, okay, tell me something I don't know, Al, but, but just think about that for a moment. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Corey and I and Bentley this week, were, we've been spending time praying. We spend Thursday mornings about an hour before our, our, our leadership team meeting praying for you. And, and, and someone in the church, actually Sonia de la Mata, sent me this wonderful word. I, I believe it was an encouraging word from the Lord. It was from this text in the Gospels where Jesus says, if you, being evil fathers, give your sons or your daughters good gifts when they ask you for them, you don't give them a serpent if they ask for an egg, but you give them what they, what's good for them, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you ask and give you even his spirit? I was just moved again to pray for the spirit. Yes, he's here. Yes, he's given. But God says, ask me. Be filled with the Spirit afresh and anew. Why? To preach. Why? To hear. Why? To apply. Why? To share the gospel with young girls who are pregnant and their boyfriends who are wanting them to have abortions. Why? To share the gospel with those who, 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 who are lost, blind. To, to preach the gospel to deaf ears, trusting that the Spirit of God will cause those ears to open. To shine the light of the gospel on blind eyes, believing that the Spirit of the Lord is going to open those eyes and they're going to see. See, I I believe this text this morning is talking about God's greatness in redeeming us and and our our, our call to praise Him. But there's also this, this sense of God revealing. In fact, you could argue that the main point of this text is really in verse 10. He's uniting all things in Christ. And and this is the mystery that is being revealed. Actually, the mystery includes our redemption through the blood of Christ. But, but, But guys, this is my prayer for us. This is my burden for you this morning. That as we walk through Ephesians, that you would pray to God, trusting your Father, who has made it very personal because he's adopted you and he's chosen you to be holy and blameless. You would ask him, Lord, send your spirit in greater measure. The Bible calls it anointing, whatever you want to call it, filling, covering, overabunding, lavishing is 
another term used here. Because that's what this book teaches us. That's what this is about. Don't you see the the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters really are about who God is and what he's done for us. And then the last three chapters is our response to that. But he doesn't wait till the last three chapters. Right here, he's, he's revealing who God is and then calling us to respond. P.T. O'Brien, Peter T. O'Brien, who's wrote, has written a wonderful uh, commentary on this. It's the Pillar Commentary Series. That's a good series for you to get, Pillar. And if you have an iPad, you can buy it right now on sale, and you can get, get all the, the commentary series right on your iPad and start developing a library. But in the Pillar Commentary Series, Peter T. O'Brien says this about this section, verses 7 to 10. Having blessed God for his election, he chose us, and adoption, he predestined us to adoption, of men and women in Christ, Paul next praises him for his redemption and the forgiveness of our trespasses in the beloved, in Christ. This stage in God's saving purposes occurs on the plane of history. Last week it occurred before history. He, he, he chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us. But this week, it it occurs on the plane of history. It occurs today. See, those who praise God for His glorious grace freely given in Christ can rejoice in the deliverance from their trespasses, their sins, what's held them in bondage through His sacrificial death on the cross. So my question to you this morning is this. It is personal. It is on the plane of history. Is it for you? Is it for you? Is it for you? The main point, I believe, of this text is the following. Praise God for redeeming us and uniting all things in Christ. You can show that. Thank you. Praise God for redeeming us and uniting all things in Christ. I believe this text, or this, this, this passage can be summarized in one sentence. If that helps you, great. If it doesn't, Forget it. But I believe it can help you because it's going to help us understand how we're going to preach this and how we're going to understand it. And you should, every time you read a text, this is why a good commentary is helpful, you should be asking yourself, what does this text say? Why did God put this text here? When you come to a sermon, you should be thinking that there's a big finger pointing here from the roof and it's pointing at you and it's God speaking to you through this fallen mouth. I know it's funny. But who else is speaking here? It's not me. I couldn't have come up with this plan. Trust me, I'm not a very good planner. Corey's a great planner. (laughs) I'm kind of like make it up as you go kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm good at improvising. But here is God's plan. Here is God's plan. And God is pointing at you and saying, what are you going to do with my plan? Is it just a nice plan? Does it involve me, Lord? Oh, yes, it does. Because see, remember Ephesians, called in Christ, conformed in community. All through Ephesians, there's this wonderful stuff that we read and go, wow, that's great, I'm adopted, I'm called, wow, man, it's all about me. No. Because you're called in Christ individually, we're called in Christ as a community, and then we're conformed in community. God's, God's word demands a verdict. God's finger demands you to make a decision. Yes, you could never make it unless he opened your eyes. But once he opened your eyes, guys, he's asking for that decision. He's saying, praise me. Praise me for redeeming you. 
And praise me for uniting Christ. So let's look at the first point. Verse 7 through 8. Point number 1. Praise God for redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Him. In Him. You've got to start with the in Him. Everybody there, look at your Bibles. In Him. That, that in Him or in Christ is, is there 11 times in these verses 3 through 14. And it's, 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 it's Paul's, one of Paul's favorite terms. So we've got to begin by understanding that it's in Christ. That we praise God for redeeming us through the blood of Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood. What does that mean? It means the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's a fancy word for sins. Things that we've done in disobedience to God. And God alone. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So, here we have this concept. Here's we have this concept of redemption. Let me just help you with this concept of redemption. It's an, the idea in the first century of a slave that has been set free. But... I think God here is using a, even a bigger picture of that, and that is the idea of Israel, or the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, after 400 years of bondage as slaves to the Egyptians, God then sets them free. He redeems them. So when you study this passage this week, go back to the Exodus and take a look at the pictures Take take a look at the pictures of God's people in slavery to Egypt. Egypt would be a picture of the world. In slavery to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would be a picture of Satan. Now, you could take this picture all the way, wherever you want to go. Biblically, I believe you could take this picture as they cross through the Red Sea. Even as it were, Paul tells us in Corinthians, it's like the baptism. And then, of course, they're crossing into the promised land, representing God's final place for his people. He's always called his people and he's redeeming them out of slavery. But for us today, what does that mean? It means slavery to sin. And what's very important is for that redemption to occur is that there would be blood. He mentions it here. The blood of Jesus. You see that verse 7? In him we have redemption through his blood. The his there is referring to Jesus. Do you remember how Israel, or how the Hebrew people were delivered in the, in the Exodus. Anybody remember? South Florida, we should know this one, right? Ever heard of a Seder? Ever heard of a Passover dinner? Of course. It was a lamb. It was a lamb that God said must be slaughtered, and the blood of that lamb put over the doorpost, and that blood would deliver God's people from the death angel, and ultimately deliver God's people from bondage to sin. Bondage to the world, bondage to the Egyptian people, bondage to Pharaoh. Why? Because the death angel crushed the spirit of Pharaoh and his people. He killed all their firstborn males. But, the, but God's people weren't touched. So today, it's not the blood of a lamb, but it's the blood of the lamb. It's the blood of Jesus that delivers us not from the wrath of Pharaoh. Listen, the blood of Jesus doesn't deliver you from the wrath of Satan. If you think that, you're wrong. No, the blood of Jesus delivers you from something far greater. The wrath of God, who is supreme over every 
creature, every created thing, and Satan is one of those. You are delivered from slavery, yes, from sin, yes, but you're delivered from the just wrath of God on your life. And that, that causes us to praise him. And that deliverance comes in such a glorious way. Look at this in verse 7. It says here, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the what? The riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. Not the poverty of his grace. Not just enough grace to kind of get in. But the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Which he lavished upon us. The picture that is being drawn here is of Solomon's riches. Now, we can't relate to Solomon's riches But he was the richest king in all the world. I remember as a kid watching this one movie and they were trying to depict Solomon's riches and somebody was searching for Solomon's riches that was in a cave in the Middle East. You know, when they pop open the door to the cave or whatever, push back the rock. You know, there's just like warehouse full of diamonds and gold and, you know, stuff you can't imagine. I always remember that. It was like glittering. Probably pretty cheesy graphics because, you know, when I was a kid, that was ancient history. Um, but, But today, think of the most wealthy individuals on earth. I don't know, maybe, maybe someone in the Bill Gates or someone like that. Put them all together. Maybe think of some Middle East sheik who owns a million Rolls Royces and can build anything he wants. Th- this term lavish and riches causes you to think of that. Causes you to think of that. And then he says something very interesting. Look at verse 8. Which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight. Now, there's, there's a decision you have to make here. I'm just kind of opening the door here to how uh, I study this text and how different people comment on this text. That decision there in verse 8, you see that at the end of verse 8? In which he lavished upon us. So he's talking about the grace of God. Corey mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. This grace of God, this, this, this unmerited favor of God, this God choosing us and calling us. So is it he lavishes on us the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Now we have to make a decision. This, this term in verse 8, um, in all wisdom and insight, does that go with what just, we just read, the grace, or does it go with what we're about to read, verse 9, let's go ahead and read it, making known to us the mystery of his will. So, so all wisdom and insight, is it, that he, he gave us the riches of his grace and he lavished them upon us in all wisdom and insight? Or did he kind of finish that thought in saying, now, in all wisdom and insight, pointing forward, he revealed to us the mystery of his will. Which one is it? I think that it goes grammatically better. And the reason I think this is not because I'm a great Greek uh, uh, scholar, but I think I've read a couple of guys. I think I agree with Peter O'Brien. Um, I think it goes with what we just read. I think, I think there's a better flow here. In a moment, we're going to talk that you can also apply to what follows. But, but listen to this for a moment. He redeemed us through the blood of Jesus, forgiving our sins. And he did it by the riches of his grace. So in other words, the, the reason he did it was because of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Catch this. He gives us now the wisdom and the insight to live as the redeemed of God. 
In other words, the riches of his grace that we receive, the, 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 the redemption that we receive, the setting us free from our trespasses and the slavery of our sin, he gives it to us with wisdom and insight. If you, if you read Ephesians 4.1, which is the beginning, remember I told you that second part of the book, the first part of the book is what he's done and who he is, verse chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is how we walk that out, okay? Well, in, in, in Ephesians 4.1, it says this, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What did we study last week? You've been chosen or called before the foundation of the world. We didn't choose him. He chose us. But now that he chose us, now that he lavished his grace upon us, now that he redeemed us from our transgressions, he's going to give us the wisdom and the insight to live that way. And he does it by his grace. I think, I think what he's saying to us here in this first point is that yes, we praise God for redeeming us through the blood of, of Christ. Absolutely. And we never, we never stop preaching that to ourselves. But I think that we're going to see, and as a matter of fact, I challenge you to study this, in, in verse 17 of chapter 1, I'm going to be preaching on this prayer in a couple of weeks. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he talks about asking for wisdom and insight. And you see it also in Colossians, which Colossians and Ephesians are called prison epistles. I just remembered someone's interpreting for me, so I slowed down to let her catch her breath. Sorry, Sabrina. <laughs> Colossians and, and, and Ephesians are parallel. You're going to see he's, he's saying pray for wisdom and insight to know the love of God, to know the grace of God, to know that God chose you. Listen, it does, it's not just he saved you from your sins, yee called in Christ. No, he saved you from your sins, yee to then bring you into his community, into his will. He's got something better for you, and you need wisdom and insight to know what it is so that you can do it by his grace. I mean, it's not just like a get-out-of-jail-free card and then go do whatever you want to do. Go act the fool like we all do. No, no. He says, I'm gonna, you're going to get out of jail free and then I'm going to give you wisdom and insight to go live lives that bring me glory in the church, in your community, at home. This plant's attacking me. Everywhere. It's crept right up on me right there. What the heck's going on, man? So, so isn't that wonderful? Like, that's cool. Like, God's going to give you that. And he's going to lavish the grace of that on you. It's a grace gift. It's the Spirit. You've heard of charismata. That's a grace gift. The gifts of the Spirit. Numictas. I did not pronounce that right. Shouldn't have tried it. Blew it. Okay. Wiped out on that one. But, but the point is this. Man, you, you, all of us, He's going to give you the grace. You like it, He's going to give you the grace to know how to live from His Word because He called you. Not to perform for Him to get His approval, but once you have His approval, to live your life for Him. Isn't that great? How can, you can't lose. You can't lose. You can stumble. <laughs> you can kind of learn. Whoa. You can learn, but you can't lose. Ah, okay, let's move on. For those who would say, no, 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 and all wisdom insight deals with now verses 9 
uh, and 10? Well, let's go to point 2. Verses 9 and 10. And actually, probably, this is the main point here. This whole idea of God uniting all things in Christ. This is that plan that he's revealing. Okay, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 here. Well, let's start with 8. Which he lavished upon us. Okay, comma. A lot of people would stop there and say, that's dealing with the grace. Now, some people say, now we're going to talk about verses 9 and 10. This plan that he's going to reveal. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us... The mystery of his will. I love a good mystery, don't you? I mean, I, I like movies that keep me guessing. I do. I, I, bring me an intelligent movie. Don't, give me, I, don't, don't let me figure it out like the first 10 seconds. Oh, I know, that guy's going to be ended up the one who did it. You know, and I, no, no. Keep me guessing. Keep me guessing. Give me a good plot. Boy, this is the ultimate mystery. And God, God reveals it. He makes known this mystery. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to what? According to his purpose. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It's all in Christ. Now, verse 10. Many people say verse 10 is the key verse for these verses 3 to 14. Verse 10. As a plan, here's the mystery. As a plan, here's the plan. No one would have thought it. As a plan for the fullness of time. That, that, most people say that's pointing forward, kind of forward and backward. Okay, Sort of the reformed already not yet stuff. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Now, this word mystery, and I will try that one, musterion. This word mystery is a very important word. I think the key point here is uniting all things in Christ. But this musterion, I think, and you can jot this down under point two, that it points us to the mystery of God's plan of salvation hidden somewhat in the Old Testament. Remember during Christmas we preached this one message about things that angels long to look into? Uh, Hebrews talks about that. Or Peter. Peter talks about that. Where the angels are looking over and they're kind of like, I, I, well, now what's that? Now, what's that? Well, that's this mystery. So if you want to look at that, for example, just not now, but later, go to Daniel chapter 2. Now, you know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but then it was translated into Latin and Greek. Greek, thank you. Greek, the Septuagint, okay? So this word then. For mystery, you'll find in the Greek translation of the Hebrew. That's a mystery to you right there. And so, so th- you find this idea here in Daniel 2. And, and if don't go there now, but it's the story of Nebuchadnezzar having this dream. And no one can understand the dream. And so all the highest paid magicians and, 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 and the Harvard trained you know, analysts... Even maybe Cornwall Alliance trained guys, you know, just nobody could figure it out, all right? Nobody could get the, the, the clue on it. And so a Hebrew slave is brought in, Daniel. And God reveals to Daniel the mystery, okay? So it's that idea. And what he's revealing is he's revealing his plan of salvation down through history, which started at the garden, Genesis 3.15, like a little acorn seed, an acorn seed, you know what it looks like, Right? Ice Age, whatever the thing they were rolling down. That's an acorn, okay? And then, was it, isn't that an acorn? Okay, don't, well, don't look at me like that. I was just an acorn. And then you plant the acorn, okay? And that acorn starts growing and it grows into an oak tree. Now, does the oak tree, a massive 
200-year-old oak tree look anything like an acorn. But everything in that oak tree is in that acorn. Right? So you see the covenant and the mystery starting to unfold and people are walking through and Abraham is sacrificing his son, but then God says, stop. And then, and then you get to Daniel and Daniel is these weird dreams and Daniel's interpreting them. This is that mystery that's moving down the quarters of time. And by God's grace, he reveals it to us. Why? Why? You want to know what the mystery is? It's Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. Who would die on the cross, redeemed through the blood, His blood, to redeem a people. You see that all over the place. You see that all over the place. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament. That lamb for Passover. It's pointing. It's a mystery. Who is it? What is it? What's going on? Jesus comes. No one understood it. They thought He was going to take over politically. No, 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 no. Here's the mystery. I will die on a cross. Peter rebuked him for it. But then I'll rise again in three days. And my elect, the people I chose before the foundation of the world, my sons and daughters, the ones I predestined to be my sons and daughters, they they will come together, not just as individuals, but as a community. I call my people. I call them. I take them through the Red Sea. I call them out as a people, as individuals, as a people. And revealing this mystery to us draws us into the Father and draws us into relationship and it deepens our relationship. The final in Christ. By the way, this section here, verses 7 and 10, it begins in Him or in Christ and it ends with in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. What does that mean? Why does he mention things in the heavens and things on the earth? It may may seem kind of like redundant. No, it's not. Here is what he is pointing to. At the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that? And Corey did a great job in introducing this book. There's this tension in the book of Ephesians between heavenly things and earthly things. Remember he talked about that? If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, you get to sort of the scary deal. You know, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. You know, it's like, is this like a men in black movie or something like that? You know, aliens coming down and weird creatures. Well, I don't know, but there are heavenly beings. Sinclair Ferguson would say that those heavenly beings are the other side of God's family, the angels. And of course, we know some fell, a third. There, there, is, there are things happening. Things happened at the fall. I was talking with my friend Mickey McDaniel uh, as we were uh, talking about this sermon. And, and he just, I said, Mickey, what's this unity of everything in Christ? And would it, would it point back to the garden and the day that, that man didn't fall? Listen, man didn't fall. He jumped. Okay? Please. We didn't fall. We jumped. And we all would have jumped. Gladly into rebellion. Something happened then. There was a disunity that occurred. The universe was fractured. The relationship between God and man was fractured. Mickey was saying maybe even the fall of the angels occurred at about the same time. Maybe that was the expression of what happened. Interesting stuff, isn't it? We don't know. We'll find out. We'll we'll see the full, you know, we get the trailer now. We'll get the full movie when we get to heaven. But the point is this. The fall, sin, 
fractured things. It fractured things. And it fractured things between us and God. And when things are fractured between us and God, things become fractured between us and one another. And life is is filled with hurt and pain and, and hating and being hated. And God says, here's my plan. I'm uniting it all in Christ. And it's going to be through the cross. Now, no one saw that coming. No one saw that one coming. Nobody. It's through the cross because it's at the cross that I'm going to remove that which separates man from God. Trespass. Sin. I'm going to deal with the enemies. No time to go there because we had this presentation today and it was a great presentation, but I've got to end in about three minutes. But, but, but in Colossians, it says that he made a show of them openly on the cross and he's talking about defeating these enemies of God on the cross. And later on in this book, we're going to look at three enemies, three traditional enemies of the Christian in Hebrews, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2. And those enemies are the world, the spirit of the world, and the power, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, and the flesh. And he defeated them. And so he's knocking off these enemies. A couple of, I don't know, years or so ago, we had this idea of Jesus being the forerunner. He's like the airborne rager, SEAL team leader who hits the ground and we're behind him. And he's going through and he's just pop, pop, pop. He's just nailing the enemy. He is bad. Good bad. And in doing that, he unites things. And the final enemy with death. And when he comes, that final enemy will be destroyed. There will be a final unity. And those that are against, those that are not chosen, those that are not the elect, those that have rebelled willingly will be judged rightly. And those of us that are elect and are chosen, not because we deserved it, because God's mercy will be ultimately united. Our bodies will be changed. No more sin, no more death. Is that enough to praise God? Oh, friends, let us praise God. And if you're here, and this makes no sense to you, oh, I pray it would. Because let me leave you with this scripture, and then we'll pray. In Philippians, which is also another prison epistle, parallel to this, it says the following in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. You want to know what it means to unite all things in Christ? Well, listen carefully. Well, I'm going to start with nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's Jesus. Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Check this out. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. There it is. Heaven and earth. And every tongue confess. Every means every. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That doesn't mean they're all saved. No, 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 no. But they will acknowledge. And the ones who were chosen and elect, and responded because of God's call. They're united with the Father, and the others are united to the righteous judgment that they deserve. And things are put right in Christ. If you're here, and you don't know that, oh, pray with me right now. Cry out to Him, friend. Cry out to Him. Let's pray. Worship team, come up as we're praying. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would please Open the eyes of the blind right now. Lord, unstop the ears of the deaf that are listening to this. Lord, by your grace, by your mercy, which you've lavished upon us, the riches of it. You have billions and billions, metaphorically speaking, of dollars of grace that are available to us. And all we need is a little. Lord, from that grace, would you be merciful? Lord, I just think right now, I'm thinking of my own family members. I'm thinking of my own brother-in-law. I'm sure there are many here thinking of perhaps children. Lord, friends, neighbors, 
men and women we know from work. Lord, would you have mercy, O oh God? Would you have mercy, O oh God? And Lord, may, 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 may we be those who cry out and say, praise be to God. I bless you, God, because you redeemed me through the blood of Jesus by taking my transgressions and setting me free from the bondage, from the judgment I deserve, your wrath, and the bondage to sin that destroys And I praise you, O God, that everything will be united in Christ. Every knee will bow. Thank you for opening my eyes that I might bow my knee this morning. And if you haven't, do it now, friend. I bow my life. I bow my knee. This church bows its knee. God, thy will be done, not mine. Lord, your will be done, not mine. Lord, forgive me for every moment of of, of complaining, every moment of temporary amnesia of what you've done for me, every moment of unbelief and fear. O God, you know I've had several this week. Thank you for taking that by the blood of Jesus, cleansing me of my trespass so that I might be united with you afresh and anew. I might know personally your love and care as my father, Jesus, as my good shepherd. And I pray that for my friends. And now, Lord, receive our offering of thanksgiving as a church. We will thank you and we will praise you for redeeming us by the blood of Jesus and revealing this mystery which we cannot understand. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Let's conclude with this song as a prayer to God.